You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. I'm not much of an art buff. I don't know that many artists, but I, I, I do know one artist uh, that is more brilliant than Leonardo da Vinci. I, I, I know of an artist that is more nuanced, more abstract than Pro Hart himself. Uh, I, you might know him. I'm talking about Mr. Squiggle. Uh, if you don't know Mr. Squiggle, Mr. Squiggle was a puppet that had a pencil for a nose. And the, the brilliance of Mr. Squiggle is that he, he could take the scribbles of a three-year-old that they would send into the show and he would turn them into the most amazing and the most wonderful and the most brilliant artistic masterpiece. <laughs> Guys, isn't that the church? Isn't that the God that we worship? And what we see in this passage tonight, this is a, look, this is a Mr. Squiggle approach to ministry. In fact, if you went and, and, and traced the journey on a map of Paul and Silas and the guys uh, on a map, it would literally look like Mr. Squiggle had attacked it, to be honest, because uh, this was no ordinary missionary trip. They were supposed to take the direct route straight to, uh, the, to the heart of Europe. This was the first time the gospel was breaking into Europe, which would later, as we know throughout history, become one of the great historical centers of Christianity. And, and, and they were supposed to go there, but in Acts chapter 16, the early parts, we say for, for whatever reason, verses 6 to 10, that the Holy Spirit actually kept them from preaching in certain towns. And so they were going all over the place, and eventually they ended up in the, the, one of the largest cities of the region, Philippi, and, uh, and they would then go into some of the five great cities uh, of the region, uh, Ephesus and uh, Thessalonica and uh, Corinth and, and Athens, and, and, but the Lord held them back. It was a Mr. Squiggle sort of ministry. Um, Guys, last week we, we learned from the passage in Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council, that God, if, if, if the question of the council was if God makes no distinctions uh, around the, his entrance into relationship with him, if he makes no distinctions on your ethnicity, on your culture, on how much money you got in the bank account, on, on what your past looks like, uh, then the early Christians had to ask if God makes no distinctions, then why should we? That became the basis of church membership and move into the movement that we call Christianity. And, and uh, uh, I know from last week we're coming out of that going, well, what does that look like? And tonight we see it. Tonight we see three amazing conversions from the passage that we read in Acts chapter 16, verses 13 through to 33. Three conversions, the conversion of a woman, of a slave, and a Gentile, a non-Jew. And, and what it shows us, this passage, is the many different ways that God wins people over. Uh, we'll see with Lydia that he won her, won her over through her mind. We'll see in this girl that he won her over uh, with just a, a direct assault on her heart and with the jailer by shocking him with a changed life. Here's what we see. What we see is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel for the religious. The power of the gospel for the oppressed. The power of the gospel for the indifferent. We see the power of the gospel for the religious when we first look at Lydia. Let's look at her economically. Lydia, when it tells us that Lydia was from Thyatira, Thyatira was a place that was renowned for its dyes and for its fashion. Lydia was from LA. And... Um, and we, we see here that she's not only got a residence in Thyatira, she's a well-travelled woman, she's also got a residence in Philippi. 
Uh, I mean, she, it tells us that Lydia was a very wealthy and a successful businesswoman here. And, and, and so she's dealing in these dyes. And so anyone would know if she's got multiple residences like this, then she's pretty much a successful fashion CEO. And so she would have had the house in LA, a home here in Sydney, holiday house up at Palmy somewhere, Palm Beach. What am I trying to say? Uh, Lydia was the Colette Dinigan of Philippi if you get what I'm saying. She was the sort of Jennifer Hawkins of Philippi. She was, uh, she was a young woman, great power, successful, into fashion. That's who she was. Now, looking at her spiritually, though, we see that Lydia was empty. How do we know? Because she was a Gentile. She was a non-Jew, a non-Jewish woman who had turned away from paganism, from all the multitudes of different gods that were around at the time, and she had uh, begun to worship the Jewish God. And so we are told uh, that um, she was praying and she was studying and she'd turned away from the pagan roots and she was beginning to read about the God of the Bible. But what it tells us is that she was turning away, she was reading the story, she was religious. So here's a question, how did God get to her? How did God get to her? He got to her through preaching, the preaching of the word. It says uh, we're told she was praying and she was studying the Bible and that Paul uh, goes up and he goes to this place of prayer and, and he begins to speak to them. And what does he say to them? We don't have a direct transcript, but we've seen some of the way that Paul uh, works in his, uh, his speeches in the book of Acts. And it, it would have gone something like this. The kind of thing that he would have said. He would have said, hey, uh, Lydia, I, I, I know I can see that you are seeking the blessings of God. Lydia, I can see that you're reading the stories of the Bible, the stories of amazing people like Joseph and David and Esther. And uh, look, I, I want to tell you about the ultimate Joseph. I want to tell you about the one who was also elevated to the right hand of the power and the authority and still forgave those that sold him into slavery. And I see you reading about David. I want to tell you about the ultimate David, not a David just to save people from giants, but a David that saves people from the real giants, the giants of sin and the giants of death. And being a woman, you're probably like Esther in the way that she was willing to risk her life and, and give up her position at the centre of the palace in order to save the Jewish nation. Hey, I want to tell you about the ultimate Esther who, who was willing to give up his place in the palace, not to just save the Jewish nation, but to save the entire world. See what he was doing? He was preaching Jesus from the Old Testament. He was preaching Jesus and Paul turns to Lydia and says, Lydia, every prophet, every priest, every king, every suffering servant, every mighty warrior, every hero, every slain lamb, Lydia, that you read about in the Old Testament, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus has come to live the life that you're supposed to live. Jesus has come and died the life that you're going to die. Jesus has come to fulfill the law that, is, that you, you're being crushed under at the moment. It's Jesus, and the, oh, and the Bible says, it says that she responded. You know what it says? That, that she got it. She got it. She responded. Respond meant that she literally means that she found it attractive. And look, what did Paul give her? He gave her a Bible study. <laughs> Sat down with her, walked her through the scriptures, a seminar, a sermon. Look, what this shows us, though, is that the gospel doesn't make people religious. What it shows us is that religious people need the gospel. And... And Lydia was religious. She needed the gospel. And here's why. Because religion is always outside in. Religion is always, I'm going to try and do all this sort of stuff to please God. And, and so, and that way, then he, he has to bless me. He has to answer my prayers. If I do all this good sort of, sort of stuff, then God's got to work for me. But Christianity, on the other hand, is inside out. It's not outside in. 
Christianity is saying I'm compelled because of the amazing, the unconditional love that God has shown me through Jesus Christ. Because of all that he's done for me, now, now I want to try and just, and just please him. It's inside out. Guys, that's an entirely different dynamic for change in your life tonight. That's an entirely different dynamic of change. Religions, I, I obey because God is useful, because I can get stuff out of him. Christianity says I obey because God is beautiful. Because I see what Jesus Christ has done for me. You see, the preaching of the gospel did this. Lydia had a God that was useful, but on that day, she received a God that was beautiful. The way the Holy Spirit had worked in her life had made Jesus Christ beautiful to her and it says she got it. You see, that's the dynamic that's going to make you guys, guys grow. And the question I've got for you tonight, is your Christianity a bore? Is your Christianity a burden? <laughs> is your Christianity crushing you? You see, because Christianity is the religion where... It's a religion where you've got to work out what you, you were going to do when you realise that you don't have to do anything at all. It's not meant to be a burden. It's not meant to be crushing you. And so in that sense, we see the gospel for the religious. The gospel doesn't make you religious. The religious need the gospel. That's what happened to Lydia. Useful God into a beautiful God. So then we see Lydia, then we, the, now we see the slave girl. We, we, we see the slave girl, the, the, how the gospel works for the oppressed. Who was she? You see, if, if Lydia was the Colette Dinigan of Philippi, right, uh, then this, this girl was on the other end of the spectrum, whereas Lydia was powerful, this girl was powerless. Whereas um, Lydia was economically powerful, this girl was economically vulnerable. What, why? It says because she was a slave. She was a slave. How do we know? Um, have you ever heard the term mad as a cut snake? Yeah, she, was, she was mad as a cut snake. She was mad as a cut snake, this girl. Um, because uh, she, it says, the NIV translates it, it says that she uh, possessed a, a, a demon spirit in her, but it doesn't translate it the right way. The, uh, the way to translate it actually says in the Greek that she had the spirit of a python. And, and that people believe she had a spirit of a python because um, in the ancient city of Delphi in Greece, uh, there was a giant temple uh, to Apollo, one of the pagan gods. And, and, and outside the temple that guarded it was this giant python. And so whenever someone was manic or, or, or crazy or so-called demon-possessed and they're saying all these crazy things and they're speaking in high voices and they're speaking in low voices and, and, and doing all sorts of crazy stuff that you might see on, on, on the movies in The Exorcist or something like that, um, when people were going nuts like that, they believed that they were possessed by the spirit of the python and, and that, the, that she could predict the future and she could tell the future. And, and guess what? In, in, in a pagan culture, that, that made her valuable. Uh, that meant they were starting to make money off her. Come along, give us a couple of bucks and she'll, she'll, she'll tell you what your future's going to be. She was a slave. She was not only spiritually oppressed, but she was socially oppressed. Who was this girl? Uh, this girl would be like the, the 15-year-old prostitute in King's Cross that is being pimped out by a couple of big guys that walk down the street next to her, shoulder to shoulder. She, she represents a 15-year-old girl that, that the Hope Street mission we support is trying to reach out to with their, their women's space. She was spiritually oppressed. She was socially oppressed. Now, you look at this and you go, how the flip can you fix this? <laughs> and what we see, how did God win her over? It was by the power of the gospel. We're told, what does Paul do here? It goes through verse 17. It was saying that... Um, She's uh, following around, she's um, yelling at him, and uh, she keeps it up for many days. It says, Paul becomes so troubled that he turned around and he says to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, get out of her. I've sort of wondered what his tone would be like. He's probably so frustrated with her after she's following him around, he's just going, in Jesus' name, get out. Leave me alone. And guess what? It, it happens. 
It happens. That's what it says that, that, she, that she was saved in that way. She was freed. What, what was going on there? She, she, got, she got a gospel defibrillator. You know those funny things? Shh. Paul is just sort of warming it up. Clear. And she, she, copped a, she copped a gospel shock to the heart that, 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 that blew this spirit away. Sometimes people need gospel power. And we're told, the funny thing about this girl is, we're told that she actually knew that there was a way to salvation. She actually knew there was a way to be saved because in verse 17 she's saying, she follows him around and says, these guys are from the, from the God of the Most High and, and, and he's telling people how to be saved. She knew that there was a way to be saved. She wasn't ignorant. She wasn't naive. She knew the truth. Here's the thing. She knew the gospel mentally, but it wasn't enough to save her. Why? Because she didn't have the power of the gospel. She didn't have the power of the gospel. And you see here, she was a slave on the inside to a bad, to a bad master, to an evil spirit that made her a slave on the outside to bad masters. She was a slave, a slave on the inside and the outside, internally, externally. And so we look at this and we say, well, what, 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 is, what is this demonic possession? What, is it, what has this got to do with us here in the 21st century? What, what's this, what this got to do with this? Look, the Bible says, when it talks, you look at the theme through, running through the Bible, the Bible teaches us that you are either a slave to Jesus or you're a slave to something else. And whether you consciously or unconsciously realise this, you're a slave because you've got to live, to, you've got to live for something. Just like Bob Dylan says, you, you're going to serve somebody. He says in his song, you've got to serve somebody. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Dylan got it right. Dylan understood that consciously or unconsciously, we're slaves to all sorts of masters. We're, we're slave, we can be slaves to our careers. We can be a slave to our families. We can be slaves uh, to our self-built our identities. We can be a slave to money. And here's the thing. If you, have any, if you have any master in your life other than Jesus, and you go chasing that for the rest of your life, if you fail it, it is going to be brutally unforgiving. I know it sounds funny, but although the terminology sounds negative to be a slave to Jesus Christ, what you will find when you're a slave to Jesus Christ is the only master. (laughs) That if you fail him, he will forgive you. And if you find him, he will fulfill you. We're all slaves. We can be a slave internally. We can be a slave externally. That's what was happening with this girl. And so look at the contrast. Lydia's... Lydia's a respectable businesswoman. Slave girl's barely a member of human society. Lydia is a moral and religious person. The slave girl is completely alienated from any sense of moral right or wrong. Lydia's got a lot to be proud of, a lot to be proud of. The slave girls are completely marginalised scum of society. Lydia's got a moderate amount of power. The slave girl's completely powerless. What, look, why look at the contrast? Why look at the contrasts? It, 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 it's, it's, as F.F. Bruce says, it's so we can see that the gospel can address and transform absolutely any condition. And that it's not only for the cultured and the able, nor is it only for the helpless and the broken. You see, here we see the gospel for the oppressed. And here's the funny thing, guys. Sometimes you just need the power of the gospel. I, I, I remember going on one of the Hope Street walks that we, we did today and talking with the people at the women's space and talking about the 15-year-old prostitute that is getting pipped out at King's Cross on a, on a, on a Friday night, on a Saturday night. And I, I, and I asked them, at uh, the women's space, I say, what do you do here? And they say, we look after these prostitutes. They come in here. We give them food and shelter. And I said, how's 
successful is it? And they said, well, it's a real struggle. Often they end back up in prostitution. And I, I said, why is that? And, and, and the, the, the person there said to me, we are, we are dealing with powers and, and principalities and structures in this society that are downright evil and powerful. People need liberation not only from themselves, some people need liberation from the oppressive structures in this society. And we can't do that alone as a church. That's why we partner with these guys. She was a slave internally, she was a slave externally. And she needed, what did she need? A gospel defibrillator. Clear. She had like a spiritual arrhythmia of the heart. Had to get it happening again. Finally, the gospel. The gospel for the indifferent. We see that in the Philippian jailer. We, we, we see, and who was he when we, we look at it? You have to realise what went on here. You see, as a result of her liberty from this uh, social oppression, her pimps were no longer making money for her. And so as a result, they incited all sorts of um, racist riots against Paul and Silas in the town. They get the whole town against them, get them in front of the courts, and they literally beat these guys to a pulp. It says he, they were severely flogged literally beat them to a pulp and they send them to the jails and they send them to this Philippian jailer. And, uh, and who was he? he was, look, he was a solid practical sort of guy. He, we know because he was a jailer that it was, he would have been an ex-soldier because uh, civil servants often were ex-soldiers. They got the cushy jobs. It was one of these little perks, sort of like the politician's pension that you get. He would have been an ex-soldier. He was blue collar, he was middle class. He's sort of like an ex-digger that would have been living in Penrith. So we've, we've, we've got Lydia the Colette Dinigan of Philippi, we've got the 15-year-old prostitute with the pimps, and now we've got an ex-digger from Penrith in the story here. It's a talk about contrast between these three. <laughs> and so, and so uh, they, they, they take him into him. Now, now how, how did God win him over? They won him over through the practicalities of Christianity, <laughs> through the practicalities of the gospel. You see, when they went to jail and after all this r- r- riot, see, they were, they were beaten up, they were bloodied, and, and they go there and, and they're sent to the jailer. What does he do? He tortures them. This was a hard man. It says that they, they were put into the stocks. They were put into these funny wooden things in which their legs were stretched apart by the chains. He tortured them after all that they had been through. And yet... And yet in the midst of this, we, he, he's, he's there and he hears something strange and amazing coming from down the hall. <laughs> he hears, he's wafting down the hall. You are my strength, strength like no other. Sing it, Silas. Strength like no other. They were singing in the stocks. They were singing in the stocks and he's thinking, how would they possibly do that? Because the world says, when you take our circumstances away, when you take freedom away, when you lock them in a cell, then you take away someone's joy. When you take away someone's career, you take away someone's joy. When you take away love, you take away someone's joy. When you take away the health, you take away someone's joy. How the heck could they be singing? It's because they were singing from something deeper than their circumstances. Apart from the gospel, guys, I've said this before, joy and suffering swallow each other up. And, and, and how could they sing? It's because their joy wasn't in their circumstances, their joy was in Jesus Christ. And here they were, they were showing him the very depths of Christianity. Not only were they singing from the stocks, they were acting from a different script. They were acting from a different script because here's the other amazing thing. They're singing away there and this earthquake um, hits and it, it's told that it literally shakes the foundations of the cell. They bust open the, the big bars of the cell, the chains of the stocks and the wood, they fall off their feet 
And, and, and the guys are staring freedom in the face. And the amazing thing is that, uh, is that in, in, in the law of the land back then, it was that if a jailer lost their prisoner, then the jailer lost their life. It's sort of like an incentive program. <laughs> Romans, what did the Romans ever do for us? Um, <clears throat> And so here's the thing, when, when the bars of the cell were busted open and the chains of the stocks fell off their feet, the, the jailer gets some lights, he's petrified, he's about to fall on his own sword because he's about to lose his life because all the guys are gone and, and, and he, he, he strikes a match, he turns the lights on and Paul goes, it's alright, we're here, it's okay, still here, still singing. Got the rest of they, These guys held the prisoners in. And the most amazing thing, now Paul and Silas, they had his life in their hands, whereas just before he had their life in his hands. And instead of bolting for it, these bloodied, bruised boys are holding the prisoners in. They didn't repay evil with evil. They repaid evil with good. And this hard, practical down-to-earth ex-digger from Penrith rushes in because he has never seen anything as concrete and as amazing as what these guys were showing them in Christianity. And he says, I, I want to know what you guys have got. I want to know what you guys have got. How could Paul and Silas stay back like that? How could they hold him in? He's asking. You see, the only way in the face of an open cell is because Paul and Silas, instead of bolting for their freedom, were able to withhold their freedom. And the, able, the reason they were able to do that is because they were acting out of a script They were acting from a script, a story which they already knew so well of one who had withheld his freedom in order to save lives. At the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was in the dungeon. Jesus was in the cell. Jesus was locked up. He was arrested. And what did he say? Guys, I could call down a thousand of my angels to come here and bust me out of this place. But he turns to his own jailers and he says, no, 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 I won't. Because if I run and, and get my freedom now, then you're going to lose your life. And Jesus at Gethsemane said, no, if, 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 if I with, withhold my freedom, you, you're not only going to get to keep your life, but you're going to get a life that is far more amazing than you can ever imagine. Paul and Silas were acting out of a different script, guys. The script that is the gospel. And Jesus, the story of Jesus is, I'll, he said, I'll withhold my freedom at the cross so you can have yours. I'll lose my life. So you can gain yours. And as a result, this hardened ex-digger from Penrith, who had no time for sermons, no time for this spirituality junk, no time for this charismatic worship type stuff, you know, he's converted to Christianity. Why? Because he saw the practical demonstration of Christianity. He saw the depths of Christianity. It's the gospel for the indifferent. Guys, sometimes you are going to know that. You know, you might know these sorts of people. Sometimes you just got to keep singing from the stocks. There might be some of you tonight that have got to be singing from the stocks. And people are going to watch your life and go, I want, I want that. How can they sing like that? And it's because we as Christians, we act from a different script, guys. Someone who withhold, withheld his freedom so we could have ours. So guys, what do we take away tonight from this application? Brief, quick. I believe that what this passage is saying to us tonight is we need to be flexible in reaching out, right? We've been asking how do we reach out. We need to be flexible. Look, Lydia, she was religious. She needed preaching. She needed the word. The slave girl, she was oppressed. She just needed the power of the gospel. There was, look, did Paul give her a rational discourse? Oh, slave girl, can I give you my five steps to why you should follow Jesus Christ? No, he said, get out. 
And then the jailer was indifferent. He was a practical, nitty-gritty, down-the-middle, average sort of guy and he just needed to see how Christianity works in someone's life. He needed to see people that are singing from the stocks, who are singing from something deeper. And so what it means, guys, is there is no cookie-cutter method to converting people. And not only that, like the, the, the earthquake, that, that didn't give Paul and Silas a chance to evangelise. They were just, it was their context, it was their situation. There's no cookie-cutter method to it all. The other, the other final thing is that the gospel is a unifying power. And that is the gospel is for everyone. Christianity is the only religion, you thought about this, Christianity is the only religion that doesn't have a religious centre. Islam comes out predominantly out of the Middle East. Hinduism comes predominantly out of India. Confucianism comes pretty much out of the Chinese mainland. Where does Christianity come out of? We can't put our finger on it anymore because... Um, it means there's, there's, there's no type of person, there's no type of culture for the gospel. The, the gospel is not a function of your culture. The gospel is not a function of uh, your geography. The gospel is not a, fu- a function of types of people. It's not a human construct. In, in that sense, it's a divine power. I mean, take a look at this picture. Verse 40, we didn't read from it tonight, but it says here, Paul and Silas came out of the prison and they went to Colette Dinigan's house. Lydia's, it doesn't say that in the Bible, by the way, um, where they met with the believers and encouraged them. Can you imagine what this would have been like for Paul looking around the room and seeing Colette Dinnigan and seeing the slave girl that's no longer getting pimped out and seeing the hard and hard nut that tortured him in the stocks, the ex-soldier and the digger just hanging out, having a meal, doing life together, having a bit of lasagna after church? Can, can you imagine his, the picture that he's, that he's got with this? And the most amazing thing, I sort of like to imagine that maybe they just had a great night of worship and they're all doing a sleepover, a slumber party at church. Wouldn't that be a great idea? And, um, and they're hanging out together and they're all sort of half asleep on the floor the next morning he gets up and it's almost out of habit he would have gone into this habitual prayer that a Jewish man would have to say a prayer that you can go and look it up on the internet that's um, part of the Midrash the old writings of the Jewish faith where he says uh, a Jewish man would have to get up and say Lord I thank you that I wasn't born a woman a slave or a Gentile and he looks at his new church the church in Philippi the church by the way in his pastoral letters, the only pastoral letter in which he didn't have to criticise or challenge them to get their act together. And he sees these guys, his new church in Philippi, lying on the floor, a woman, a slave and a Gentile. Is it me or has God got an incredible sense of humour? What it means is... What it means is that the gospel is a divine, unifying power. In Sydney, in Sydney people don't like that. Don't get together. People like Colette Dinnigan and the prostitute from King's Cross and, 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 and the average guy who's the ex-digger. In Sydney, people like that would normally never get together. But I know in our example here in this place, it's not those specific examples, but those sorts of types, we see them in this place every Sunday. What it, what it says is that gospel is a unifying power. That we would never be getting together on, in that way. And so my question for you guys tonight, too, the application is, look, on what basis do you feel your sense of connection and unity to this church? Is it the music? Oh, the music's great. I really like the music, so I'm going to turn up for the music. Look, the music's going to change. Is it the preaching? You know, people always talking about, oh, I like this church because this preaching's good, it's expository, and I like this preacher because he does this. Look, the preaching's going to change. It's because it's the groups and the activities that they run and the programs. I really like their pro- Look, the guys, the programs are going to change. 
If we, if, look, if you're here tonight and you're judging, I want to I find a, a Bible-believing, gospel-living local church, will you just judge us on the basis of we're a church that wants to see, yeah, the preaching of the gospel like Lydia. We want to see word ministry in this place. But like the slave girl, we want to see the power of the gospel. We want to see the power of ministry and, and, and of mercy deeds in this place. And like the Philippian jailer, we just want to see real nitty-gritty practicality, the examples of the way that God's worked, the way that God has changed lives. We want to see the Daniel Jang interviews in this place. Judge us on that. Judge us on the gospel. And so, guys, where are you tonight? Are you one of those people that God's just useful to you tonight? Come on, come out, come out under the burden of religiosity. Come to Jesus. Do you know Jesus mentally tonight, but not spiritually? Look, are you consciously or unconsciously a slave to a master other than Jesus Christ tonight? I hate to tell you, it's going to be brutally unforgiving. It's going to crush you. Come to the only master tonight in this prayer time that if you fail him, will forgive you. Are you the sort of person that is just indifferent to Christianity tonight? Has a friend brought you along and you sort of, oh, whatever, I'll check this sort of stuff out, but I'm not up for your maybe pamby spiritual faith sort of stuff. It's all a bit fluffy. Look, guys, just take a look around. Look at Daniel's interview tonight. It changed lives. It works. This whole Jesus stuff, Christianity, look, it's not just another paradigm. It's a power. And you can have access to that power through faith in Jesus Christ tonight. When we have ministry time, you can come up and ask us questions. You can be a part of it. Maybe you just need a defibrillator. I'm getting it ready up the back for you. Clip. Brothers, sisters, Christians, guys, Northsiders, what sort of church do you envisage? God is the ultimate Mr. Squiggle, ain't he? I see that in every day in the lives of the people in this place. He can take the most mucked up and scribbled and scrambled lives and turn them into the most amazing, wonderful, unimaginable, beautiful works of art. That's true of some people's lives tonight. It can be true of your life tonight. And it only happens through the divine, unifying power of his gospel. You've just heard it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing, incredible thing that is your church. Father, tonight, maybe throughout this message, there have been people that have been brought to our minds that you've laid on our hearts, our people that are just religious and stuck under that barrier of trying harder and harder in order to please you, doing the praying and doing the trying, and they don't realise that uh, they just need to rest in Jesus' work tonight. Father, there might be, and we know, we know through the work of the ministries, we know through what some of our people today saw at Hope Street, that there are socially and economically oppressed people five to ten minutes from this place. Socially and economically oppressed people in this suburb. Father, in that sense, um, we need your power in a mighty way, Lord God. We need all we can get as far as partnerships for the gospel are concerned. We thank you for those partnerships that we have. Father, for the indifferent, we work and we live and we walk with them just about every day of our lives. Will you help us as a church, as we go out into this week, as individuals, to sing from something deeper? to act from a different storyline and to just live and demonstrate the incredible and the amazing power of your gospel and your work and through your Holy Spirit in our lives. So Father, it's in in that way that we pray these things in our mighty Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We pray that in his name. Amen.